Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Hey, good morning everybody. It's always exciting to preach the first week of the year. The more exciting one than that is preaching the last week of the year. So for those of you who, didn't, who, weren't, who weren't here last week, uh, this is where the work series really kicked off. So I want to encourage you guys to go home, get the sermon downloaded. Wayne preached a marvel of a preach last year, really just setting the tone between the difference between a job and work. So I'm kind of, in kind of, in some ways, in kind of some ways, something like that, I wanted to continue a little bit of that. But I wanted to look at specifically at a key question, which I'm sure many of us have asked ourselves. So the key question that we've, we've looked at, and I'm sure you've asked, is who am I? That's a big question. Who am I is probably the most perplexing, profound, difficult questions we can ever ask ourselves. But just to make sure I'm speaking to the right room, who's asked themselves that question sometime in their life? Okay. And if there isn't somebody, you're probably asking it right now, and you're going to have an interesting preach because you're thinking, wait a minute, I've never asked myself that. Where, you know, and it, We'll, we'll get there. We're going to try and look at the answer to this question initially through a broader lens, but then afterwards through a, a bit of an understanding of work and how work plays a role within us trying to find the answer to this question. So I said it's perplexing and a really, really cool word. It, it kind of means the difference between or a mixture between baffled, complex, and confusing. So it's a really cool word, but it's perplexing because the many answers and definitions that we may get to this question often dissatisfy ourselves. We get an answer and say, I'm this, but that's not really it. There's something more, or I'm this, but actually that doesn't really capture it. And so we end up quite confused about this complexity of trying to answer this question for ourselves of, who am I? At the same time, it's very profound, because trying to find the answer to this question is ingrained into every step of our life's journey. And in a little while, I'm going to just touch on some points in my own journey as I try to find this out. But from when we're this high, we're trying to answer this question. And when we're sitting 80 or 90, we still have some questions, that we, some parts of the question that we're trying to answer, or possibly we're sitting in some parts of regret, wishing we had done things differently. So it's a very profound question that has so much depth that we're trying to seek. And then lastly, it's really difficult because there's so many answers that may come from it. And some of those answers may make us feel really uneasy. And often when we look at our lives now, and as Tyler was mentioning, we look at last year and this year and the goals for this year, and we want to start off well, maybe the answer we have for that question right now makes us feel uneasy because maybe that's not who you want to be. So today, I want to talk a lot more about this word, identity about understanding the answer to this, who am I? And kind of where is our source? Where do we find the answer to this from? Um, And part of that is going to touch heavily on work. And I want to just look around the room today. Like not everybody, yeah, may be working full-time. But I want to extend this to you in terms of whatever work you do. If you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're a son or a child, there's a part of a role in which you play in your life Uh, which you may be a scholar at school, for instance, or a university student. There's something I want to encourage you to take from this and let that be your work for now. 
in terms of a space that you're trying to answer the question of who am I? So we're going to look a lot more on identity. And in a nutshell, identity refers to how people answer the question, who are you? That, that's really it, okay? But you think it's simple to find a definition for identity. It's really, really not that simple. So I went and did some research, and one of the first founders of psychology over 120 years ago, he coined a part of a definition, and even that definition is kind of a bit mixed up. And he said, which I think he did it pretty well, 100 years ago, 1892 to be exact, William James said, it's in its wildest possible sense, a man's me, a man's who am I, is the sum total of all that he can call his. Not only his body and his mental powers, but his clothes, his house, his family, his ancestors, his friends, his reputation, his work, his land and horses, his yacht and his bank account. All these things give him the same emotions. If they wax and prosper, he feels triumphant. If they dwindle and die away, he feels cast down. Not necessarily in the same degree for each thing, but in much the same way for all. So I think 120 years ago, that's, that's a pretty solid statement. about it's, it's kind of this who am I, this what makes me me, is made up of a whole bunch of stuff. And part of the stuff is family and education, all these different things that kind of are trying to grasp on things to figure out who I am. But the challenge with this, though, is that when things are going well, I feel great. When something starts slipping, actually, I'm in a terrible place because I'm basing who I am on a range of different things, and I'm connecting it to that. Now, this is the psychology perspective. <laughs> this is the perspective that is actually identity that the whole world is trying to get to. And guess what? Over 120 years has passed since this definition, and not much has changed. We're pretty much answer, asking the same question, and we're we trying to figure out what identity means to us. Only challenge is it's become a little bit more complex now. <laughs> because now in the technology age, this who am I is accentuated by social media. It's accentuated by, let me share something on a post on Instagram, and guess what? You check in your phone every 10 minutes. Who's liked it? Hey, 10 likes it. And we think it's bad. Like at my age, I think it's bad. I'm 35. I look at it and still sometimes I'm like, did somebody like it? I've got a 15-year-old nephew. And the one time he shared this awesome, awesome photo of his lightning bolt. It was, it was amazing. And he took it off. I was like, why did you take it off your Instagram? No, nobody was liking it. And the state of our world at the moment, it's becoming more and more like this that actually the face of who we are is all determined by how many likes, how many followers, how many outside affirmations we get. So this William James's idea 120 years ago has just gotten more complex and there's more channels for us to be able to identify who we are. Here's a couple you'll probably recognize, just adding the social media element. So it's not just Facebook, it's not just Twitter, there's a range of ones. So even in a professional space, if you go to the next slide, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Google+. Plus. So it's not just young people who are on social media. Even us, who are a little bit older, who have started in the professional space, your CV, your online work profile, all of this, there's something there that, if we are not careful, can become something that we've drawn so much of who we are from. 
and we may land up in the danger that William James talked about, where there's all this stuff. And I'm going to talk now a little bit about why it's a danger. But before I go there, even Jesus asked the same question. How cool is that? 2,000 years ago, Jesus sits in and asked this question. I'm going to read it, then I'll summarize it briefly. But Matthew 16, verse 13 to 20, says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea in Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he said, Jesus says, But what about you? And he asked the person closest to him, he says, who do you say I am? Then Simon Peter answered, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus himself, in this small passage, way before psychologists even coined anything, I think he summarized it all. He gave the definition and how we do it, and he gave a solution. So part of the definition is he said that, actually, guess what? Firstly, when it comes to who we are, we want to know from the world. <laughs> what do others say? What do others say I am? And we ask the same thing. And then also, it's really important for us to know from those closest to us. Who do you say I am? And those voices closest to us. And either they're great voices speaking into our lives, or they're ones that are really taking us on the wrong path. But it's those two perspectives that mold who we are, whether we realize it or not a lot of the time. But Jesus said something interesting is that Simon Peter replied with an accurate answer of actually who Jesus really was. And Jesus said, spot on. The true answer for who you are, you cannot get from man. You cannot get from people, only from the voice of a father. And how often do we live our lives in spaces where we're craving these other affirmations, but God is sitting there saying, they're all lies. Only me, your father, can I say who you are because I know you, I formed you, I created you. That's where it sits. And I believe that today, wherever you're sitting with whatever pictures of who you are, that God wants to speak to you. So I'm not going to give an answer to who you are. There's too many of us in the room. But I want to give you some handles so that you can go home today and you can say, God, tell me who I am. Show me in your word who I am. I want to hear it from you alone. And let that mold my future. Let that mold my first couple of weeks as I step into 2018. Should we pray? Father God, I pray that over the next couple of minutes, Lord, as we venture into this understanding of, of who we are, Lord God, and the role that our work plays, the role that what we do plays within that according to your word, Lord God, I pray, Father, that you will reveal the truth of who we are to us personally, Lord Lord. That will start today, Lord God, but your voice will continue through your word and through you speaking to us, Father God, to just actually bed down an identity of who we are and the truth of who we are in our hearts as we step into this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So, as I mentioned, we're working with this Work It. It's a, it's a, it's a cool title. I always get this weird rap song. I like the way you... I don't know if it's a good song. It's got a lot of diggity in it. If you know that one, I looked up the lyrics and I saw Wayne sang last week, so you have to get that one. But I looked up the lyrics and I was like, no, nah, I can't even use that. It's just diggity, diggity, dig, dig. Now, bang it up or something like that. So let me leave that, okay? Let me leave that. But why the link to work? So why is work such an important component of this identity of who we are? 
So for me, it's kind of the easiest way to do that is to just start telling you a little bit of my own journey. And hopefully there's some parts of my own journey that you'll be like, yeah, I also felt a bit of that, maybe in a different way as you're growing up and so forth. But before I do that, so Mark VP's on holiday. A couple of weeks ago, he ended up borrowing my tent to go camping for like the sixth time. I think he's used my tent camping more than I've used in the last 10 years. Every time he brings it back, then he comes and fetches it. So, so he phones me, and I'm away, and he phones me and says, can I get your tent? I'm like, awesome, now go for it. Eh? Gets to the garage, and next thing I get a photo from VP of my first ID book photo. Now, I know that it's going to come up in one of his preachers. I know. So I'm preempting this today, and I'm just divulging whatever it is. At least I'm the owner of the story behind the story. And if he shows the later, you can be like, yeah, oh, no, we've seen that. So, so for me, the first part of identity... I'm going to kick off where it started legally. <laughs> Legal identity started at 16, when this lovely photo was taken. <laughs> yeah. I remember that photo clearly. I remember that day. I was at school. Uh, Marcel, there we go. I was at school, and my hair was in my eyes. And just before the photo, the teacher pulled me out and said, you must cut your hair. I'm like, I'm taking the, you know... So I went and I cut my hair myself, as you can see. <laughs> and then I'm sitting there in the photo, my one friend makes me laugh while the photo's happening. And then for the next eight years or so, until I got my new ID, cops and that were very suspicious that, that I had been sniffing and smoking interesting stuff because I look a little bit dazed. Not true, though. My friend made me laugh. But really, the identity started, yeah, 16, right I'm out there in school, and in school, the funny thing is, even as we start school, and we all know it, you are a mark. You're an A student, you're a C student, you're the bottom class, you're the top class, you're this. And labels are put onto us that we accept. And you try and find spaces to try and get acceptance. For me personally, it was trying to find that. Yes, find it in the classroom, try and be the A student, but at the same time, seeking acceptance, seeking affirmation from people so that I can better have a better understanding of who I am uh, based on what they say. Unfortunately for me, I was relatively shy and things didn't work out in the popularity department at school. So it, it was actually a, a quite a low part of who I was. I, I, I really couldn't find it in school. But I journeyed and I tried and so forth to find this answer. Even though I knew God, I kept on going back to revert to trying to find it in other ways that were forever changing. So when I finished school then, uh, I stepped from a space of trying to find it in people into trying to find it within a culture. So back of the days, early 2000s, you can go to the next slide, when emo was cool. So every kid had one eye showing their dominant eye, and, and you find your culture in music. And for me, I found my culture in music. I was at one gig after the next, music festivals. And you try and connect with the people around you because who are you? Yeah, no, I'm into this music. And, and that becomes your space to say who you are. A very close sort of space. And, and once that dwindled, I mean, everything there is fake. The black hair is fake. The earrings are fake. So there's a lot of fakeness, but you're trying to be unique. Uh, you won't call it fake, but it's unique. So... Try to venture to find out who I am in a culture. And you might find that in different cultures that you're a part of, that you're trying to connect with a culture to answer that question. 
And then the music kind of scene went away and people started showing their eyes again. And then I went into this creative, unique space. So I'm so glad I'm sharing this and not VP. So now who was I? Well, I was my own person. I set it up. Beginning of the stages, the dreadlocks went to down here. I drove an old school 1980 mini, the sound going, all stars, Ted jeans. I was, I found, I felt like I found out who I was. But again, was it really who I am? Or was I creating something so I can try and answer this question with something? And I think I was seeking to answer it with something, but it wasn't yet something solid. It wasn't yet something whole. So, for me, the big shift of really who I am started around about this time when I started working after I'd finished, finished studying. Uh, and I started working and I got to a point where finally my boss said to me, you need to cut those dreads and take out the earrings. And I, and I had to suit up <laughs> and I had to neaten up. And the last 10 years, and we can leave it on this slide for a bit, the last 10 years have been the biggest identity forming journey in work. Work has done so much to help me to figure it out. And it started at school, because in school, it's like, well, what are you going to become? Uh, I don't know. You know, it all builds up to a something that you work <laughs> that becomes who you are. And then that builds into something that a lot, a lot of the time you finish retiring and you don't know who you are because you don't have work anymore. Um, so it plays an important role. But for me specifically for work, all that stuff <laughs> of who I was or who I thought I was, all the weaknesses that I may have had, people-pleasing, trying to strive for other people's approval, trying to have people say, well done, and wait to hear that so I feel better about who I am, trying to possibly work your way up this ladder to get the title. Oh, I'm a manager now, you know? Or I'm a, and, and having staff look up to you and it feeds who you are. And 10 years went by where, honestly, if I look at myself, I went on a journey to be able to say, Lord, um, I get that you've given this to me, but actually every day when I go to work, I'm craving something here that's feeding who I am. And it's not from you. It's from a title. It's from a boss's commendation. It's from a colleague that says, you're such a great boss. It's from something. And it didn't fulfill. I thought it would. I thought it would fulfill. As I climbed the ladder, I thought it would just make me feel more and more... um, connected with who God created me to be, but it fell short of that. And it fell short of that to the point about three years ago, uh, two, two years in a row, I had two burnouts at work because I constantly pushed so hard and strived so hard to be able to get and, and, and meet and trying to prove and everything. And the one day I just fell flat and, and Jen, my wife, said to me, I said, what happens if all of this is just a God training you for something. So I said, what do you mean? So what happens if all of this is a journey that God wants to take you on so that you can stop finding your identity in work and start finding your identity in Him? What happens if He's trying to do this? And this burnout right now is Him saying, actually, where's your source? Who are you finding this in? Bringing me back to this consistently. And I listened to it and I thought, okay, well, generally, you're right. When my wife says something like that, I listen. And God's really taken me on a journey, and I'm on it. I'm not there yet, to shift away from the power of work in creating who I am to the power of a father in saying who I am and accepting that over and above the other part. And 
And that's what I want to just look at today. So you might say it's got nothing to do with me, I'm not working, but I mean, when God says, how's it to you, even at church, uh, you're waiting for that question. So uh, what do you do, you know? And then you're like, uh, what do I say? And do I, do I, if I'm unemployed right now, do I not say anything? Or, uh, or maybe I'm saying I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad. You know, what do I say? And you constantly, your head's going. And if I'm right, you can just nod your head's going and say, what are they thinking about it? And are they pleased? Or are they wowing? And, or maybe I'm embarrassed to say, or maybe I just got retrenched. You know, or maybe I'm going through a period in my life where I'm not working because I'm sorting out stuff. Or maybe there's a whole bunch of stuff. But the funny thing is that the first question we ask is, what do you do? That's it. You know? And we all get caught up into that. So actually, whether it's about the work that you're doing now, I want you to listen up because this question hits home for everybody. And I want our response to this to begin to be something that changes. So four points today. Really four points. And the fourth one I'll go on a little bit more. And point number one is that firstly, just to set it straight, that God does call us to work. He calls us to do stuff. So when this question comes up, what do you do? It's not like I need to push out and say, actually, I don't need to work now because it's not about what I do. No, it is about what you do. God calls us to work. He calls us to do stuff. However, something else needs to shift in here. So two verses on that. Genesis 2.15, right in the beginning. So a lot of people say, Adam and Eve, the curse, and they were kicked out, and labor and work became the curse. Before the curse, God said, the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work is part of our design. God calls us to work. He calls us to do. Psalm 90, verse 17, May the favor of the Lord your God rest in us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So both God calls us to work, but God is intricately involved in establishing the work of our hands and molding what we do. Okay, And there's many scriptures on this, and I'm not going to go into all of them. I want to start just provoking you to go and look into more scriptures, particularly on this. But the first thing is, God does call us to work. Secondly, our identity at work is not shaped by what we do, but rather how we do it. Okay? Now back to that question again. So what do you do? Okay? Just remember that question. So funny, Colossians 3.23, it says whatever you do. It's almost like God in a fun way is just responding. So what do you do? I don't care about the what you do. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter what it, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. That's what's important to God. Not the status, not the level where you're at, not the bank balance, not the yacht, and if you've got the horses like that guy was talking, not the horses, okay? But whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Nehemiah 4 verse 6, for the people worked with all their heart. God wants us to be fully engaged, all in, in the how we do it. He really wants to set the standard. There's a scripture that talks about when you're making a dealing with somebody, how you need to do it in a fair way because God sets the standard. God sets the standard for Christians to be able to work in a way that the bar is up here compared to the world. He wants you to do it with all your heart, but the goal isn't the job. It's how you are actually performing it, the way your heart is in it. So God is all about the heart. 2 Chronicles 15.7, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. He's calling us to be tenacious. 
He's calling us to work harder, smarter, better, with everything engaged, more than anybody in the world. The biggest problem in the world at the moment in the workplace is disengagement. It's called uh, presenteeism. The guys are present, but you're actually completely absent. And work performance is down. God doesn't call that for us. He says he wants your hearts to be in it. And he wants you to work with your hands with everything you have. So firstly, God is not worried about what we do. But he is worried about and is interested in, what, in how we do it. Ephesians 6, and I'm briefly touching this, and we're going to come back to Ephesians 6. It's an amazing chapter, but it gives you some practical handles. It talks about slaves and masters, but let's look at it as in bosses and staff. So, slaves, staff, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. There's the heart thing, just as you would obey Christ. So for those of us with our bosses, God calls us to respect. God calls us to obey, to follow, to serve as if we obey in Christ. Um, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Later on in verse 9, it says, Hey, masters, we're not letting you off. <laughs> so those of you who are leading other people in the workplace, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no favoritism with him. It's a tough one. God said, actually... I'm your master, and I'm their master, so you best look after them. So God calls us to a really high standard of how we work. Number three, our identity at work is not shaped by what we do, but rather who we do it for. So Colossians 3 again, we've touched on it briefly, but just to continue with that again, whatever you do, what do you do? Whatever you do, Work it up with all your heart as if you are working for the Lord, not for human masters. Again, the standard's up there. Imagine if you're doing this and God's sitting there, the creator of everything. I'm going to be trying to make this as amazing as possible, but for him. So, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you might be sitting here with a boss that you struggle with. You might be sitting here with a workplace and people that you just, and God's calling you to just rise up your gaze to him and realize that when I go in there, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, I'm serving Jesus. And God's called me to a space to glorify him, not just on a Sunday, but every day, in, because it's actually I'm doing it for him. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plan. Some of you might be saying, but actually I'm in a space now, dead end job. Or I'm looking for something. And, but God says, well, actually, make it His. Really commit it all to Him and do it with all your heart, whatever is given into your hands. And he will establish your plans. He will make the way straight. It might take some time, but He will. Ephesians 6, again, back to that chapter. And it's a chapter I, I encourage you to go back to. It says, that's verse 7, it says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So again, for the Lord, committing everything to Him from day one. Number four. This is the last one, but a little bit more yeah, because this is particularly about this, who am I? Our identity at work is not shaped by the results of what we do. The horses, the yacht, the bank account, 
the reputation. But it's rather shaped by who he is. Now there's a lot, Jan, it's hard to grasp because like I said, since we're nine years old, everything is shaped around a response we get, whether it's a mark or whether it's something from a parent. We've wired that way, but God wants to call us to a new way to be wired. So 2 Corinthians 10, 12 is this particular argument. It says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We need to measure ourselves by who God is and realize because of Jesus that he's given us part of, he's given us that full identity of who he is and he's inside of us and that's what we need to measure ourselves by, what Jesus has done, not others. And it's a tough one. It's very easy to measure ourselves by others but it's not wise. So I had another aha moment I was busy working at, a, at an event for about a week in Joburg. And again, I was just feeling, and some of you might be feeling that way, feeling like it's a dead end. I was low in motivation. I was just like, why am I here, God? I'm just feeling, ah, oh, find me another way out. Find me something. And my boss at the time, he was a Christian, and he said to me, he said, what's going on? So I said, no, I've got the scripture on my heart, the scripture, and it says Psalm 40, verses 1 to 2. I said, I've got the scripture. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And my heart was just saying, Lord, I, I feel like I'm in the mud and mire. I feel like work-wise, I'm jumping from this to this. My emotions are up and down. I'm, I'm just, I'm in the middle of this. Help me to find a job that is solid, that is consistent, and where I feel fulfillment in and everything goes perfect. That was my prayer, and that was my complete misinterpretation of this verse. And my boss said to me, he says, I explained it to him, I said, well, I'm trying to find work because I'm trusting that God will put me in a solid workplace that actually does this, this, and this. He said, that's not the scripture. That, that solid place to stand isn't work, isn't the right job. That solid place to stand is Jesus Christ. Because what happens in this world, this world is the slimy pit. <laughs> this world is the moving land. And guess what? You may be in a job right now where you feel like, Lord, I wish this could just settle down. I wish it could be better. But God's calling you not to yet place you. I believe one day he, he might. But not yet to place you in this perfect little job until you place perfectly in him on a solid rock. Our world will continue to change. The slimy pit, this moving ground, that's life. But God wants you to say, but you're going to be there, but you're going to feel consistently standing firm because you're standing on Jesus, who is the rock. And that's what he wants to try and call you to. And this particular scripture, I just want to read the scripture before and afterwards, and I think it's really critical but Psalm 40 verses 1 to 2, where this came from, I went back and I read the full thing. But let me read it. And it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. 
Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. None can compare with you. Where I speak, where I where I to speak and tell of your deeds, there will be too many to declare. So there's just a couple of scriptures there, but I want to just touch on the flow. Firstly, I waited patiently for the Lord. Wherever you are at the moment, that word wait is more than wait. It's not sit around and do nothing. I trusted fully in the Lord. So I trusted fully that my help will come from Him. I will do whatever I need to do with all my heart, with all my strength, with hard work. But my trust isn't in some man or some woman to finally say, come, he has a promotion. My trust is in Him. And I trust patiently for Him because His time will come. And in that space, I continue to work with all of my heart. And at that right time, God will start to work within me to lift me out of this stuff. Not that I'm going to be excluded or removed from it, but to put my feet on Him so that I consistently feel solid. And then once we have our feet firmly placed on Jesus, then no matter what happens in the world around us, we are standing. Then amazing things happen. Then it says, He puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord, and put their trust in Him. God wants you to walk into your workplace with a new song in your mouth. He wants you to walk into wherever it is with a song that the world doesn't see, with a song that says, I love my wife, I love my family, it speaks good about home, while other people are busy running down their families and their wives and husbands and spouses in the workplace. One that talks about children differently, one that leads differently, God wants to give a song in our mouth that glorifies Him that we take to the workplace, but that song will only be put into our mouth when He's our rock. And the other stuff isn't. And that's part of our work, it's to go out and turn people and give people the opportunity to trust in God, and He chooses us to do that with this new song. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud. Again, re-emphasizing, keep looking to God. Don't look, don't compare with others. And then lastly, Many are the wonders you have done. I think once we end up in that place where we're standing firmly on God, He's put this new song that we're sharing in our workplace, the wonders of God are going to be too much to even talk about. And that's why He puts us there, so that other people can see His wonder and get pointed directly to Him. So, how do we then? I mean, just a quick summary. It's, yeah, firstly, again, God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to position our identity in Him, the rock, the only steady ground. God wants us to give us a new song that we can proclaim at work, and He wants His image and His work to display all His glory. But lastly, what, what handles do we have to figure out this image that He's given us, compared to going back to work tomorrow or next week, Monday, and just continuing as usual because we're so habituated with some other way. And this is what I want you to look at so that... God can start speaking to you about who you are and who you are at work. So Ephesians 6 verses 13. Again, I mentioned Ephesians 6 earlier with the slaves and masters. This whole chapter speaks a lot about work. And a key thing is that you may have all heard about it if you've been a Christian for a long time. It's about put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the devil's schemes. And it sounds so foreign because we're putting on armor, you know. But in the day... When this was written, the key identity and the key authority of the time was Roman rule of armory. That's what authority looked like. 
It may look different now. It might be put on the full power suit of God, you know? Or it might be put on the uniform of God. Whatever it is for you, the armor of God is less about trying to protect ourselves and more about understanding who we are. And the key thing here, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand. Again, linking back to God taking us out of the miry clay, the only place where we can fully stand is in Jesus, on Jesus who is consistent, who is and was and whoever will be. That's where we need to stand. And this is calling us to that same standing despite what's happening around us. And then it goes on and it says, well, let me show you how to stand. And there's some key things here that you can ask God, seek, get into your word, Look at specific scriptures on each of these components and ask God, God, show me who I am. And how it's written is perfect for this thing of identity. It says, stand firm then, firstly with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. First things first, you need to know the truth about who you are. And back in those days and back in these days, if the belt of truth isn't sorted, if this thing's loose, everything's going to fall down. Okay? And it, it, unfortunately, that's the case. So it holds everything together. Truth holds everything together. So the first question for you and for me is to go to God and say, God, show me the truth about who you say I am. The same way Jesus said that this revelation only comes from the Father. Show me the truth. Show me the lies that I've believed for many years about who I am. And some of them might not be negative stuff. For some people, yeah, some of the lies may be, I'm the business. <laughs> you know, I'm the boss. I've got the power. I've... I've, I've achieved, and some of those may be true, but depending on where our heart is, God wants to fill it with a greater truth. So firstly, God wants to give us the truth about who we are. And the second part, um, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the key thing straight afterwards, it says, belt of truth, actually now it's about righteousness. And guess what? Whatever we've been given, we've been given because God has given it to us. Yes, we may have worked hard, we may have, but it's all from him anyway. It's not our own doing. So we can't be proud and boast and say, oh, this is me. No, no, no. All glory back to him because he's given it. We don't deserve it. And it's his righteousness. And we fail. <laughs> and without Jesus, this righteousness that he gives us sets us apart for the workplace. And in a workplace at the moment that is crumbling because of corruption, that is crumbling because of lies and fraud and all these things, God sets a standard straight away and says, actually, I want you to step in with my righteousness and I want you to do things the way I would want them done in the workplace. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes up from the gospel of peace. So again, three things. Truth, you're walking in there with the righteousness of God, not feeling blamed, not feeling shame, not feeling condemned because you're a son of God, but your actual mission in the workplace is the gospel, to be able to share that with others through how you live and through the truth that you hold about who you are and who he is. And then once you're actually walking and you're sharing this gospel, it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So God's calling us to the space and walking in with the gospel, but he's saying, don't go empty-handed. Firstly, you're going with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, because this word isn't designed to be staying here in this church. 
It's meant to be going out and enriching and changing people's lives. And you're a minister in your workplace to be taking this to people through how you live and through what you say in terms of speaking truth into their lives. And the shield of faith. So again, God's calling us to big standards. I believe God's calling us to massive dreams and creativity and spaces where we're really stretching the boundary of what we're believing for. But again, all for His glory. And He's standing and He's given us these tools. But He wants to invite you to dive deeper into these parts of identity and ask Him, God, who do you say I am? And how can I actually stay and realize the truth? So, lastly, you may be sitting with an answer to any of these four questions. It might be all of them. And I really feel that the Holy Spirit will talk to you today to figure out if one of them to respond because God wants to start speaking to you and start taking you from the miry clay and setting your foot on a solid Jesus. And again, if you don't work, you may find, wait a minute, maybe who I am is so dependent on my relationships or it's so dependent on something else. There's something God wants to take you from that and set you on solid ground, which is Him. So is your trust in God or man? Are you working at a standard that is aligned to working for the Lord? That's a tough one. Maybe we need to go into this year and raise the bar about how we do things because actually we're doing it for God now, not the same boss who we get frustrated with at times. Do you feel as if you are in a slimy pit or do you feel that you're standing on solid ground because Jesus wants to move you to the solidness of standing on him? And lastly, are you wearing the identity of God at work fully? Awesome. Could we stand? Let's pray. Father God, I've taken back to, to the space where Jesus is asking his disciples, you know, who do other people say he is? And, and he goes to Simon Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, actually, the truth of that can only come from a father. And God, we look at you this morning, Father God, at the beginning of 2018, and we ask you, Lord, who do you say we are? Father God, we're sorry that our trust keeps on defaulting back to the ways of man, defaulting back to the next paycheck or to our boss's response or to our parents' response or spouse's response or something that we feel and we feed on in order to feel more alive and more of who we are, Lord God. But Lord, your voice is all that matters. Lord God, I pray, Father God, that you will take us, Father, from the slimy pit (laughs) if we feel that at the moment in work or in any role that we play things are just shifting and we can't find stability and we can't stand father god lord show us the reality that you will take us from that and place us on a consistent rock who is jesus who never changes where despite what's happening father god we can feel secure and safe under the refuge of an almighty god father lord i pray this year that you do big things with us through us, for your glory, Father God. And Lord God, if there's anybody here today, firstly, who, who maybe just popped in here for the beginning of the year and says, Lord, I want to do something differently or I'm trying to figure out who this God is. If that's you today, I pray that, that you say yes to this Jesus who wants to take you from the mess and then wants to put you onto something solid, which is him. And he wants to give you a new start to everything. 
and show you how to really live this loving Jesus who came to earth, died, rose again, and is victorious as that song we sang earlier. So if that is you, just, yeah, I pray that you put up your hand to God. <laughs> not to any of us, not to man. Put up your hand to God and say, God, I want to be rescued from the slimy pits. I want to know you, Jesus. I'm tired of trying to find out who I am in everything else. I want to find out who I am in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. So if that is you, and thank you for those hands. Just pray with me, and I'd love for us afterwards to come, come and chat to one of us in the front. But Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus down to this earth who died so that I can live. And Jesus rose again from the dead and is victorious today. And I want to serve you, Jesus, as my Lord and my King. And I thank you, Father, that you saved me. And my life will never be the same again. Thank you, Lord. And if anybody else here is sitting within any of those spaces, just make that prayer to God right now and say, Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to work differently at work. Set my feet on the rock of Jesus because I'm tired of being stuck in a space that feels like it's always moving. And help my identity to be fully, fully spoken and breathed in by you and you alone, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.